welcome to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Bobby Howe. And I'm Alex Gehring. Bobby, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fine. You had to come get me because I was engaged. You were engaged. I was engaged. We were busy. Uh, you were focused into a conversation. Yeah, and we were doing forms. Yep. Uh, forms, latte and learn. Forms, latte and learn. Yeah. It's Alex, stuff. can you believe it's April? Oh my gosh. How did that happen? Like, spring is here. Spring has sprung. We are <laughs> laughing because you can't believe that it's April. I can't. I'm I like, oh, it, I is. Was, it is. April. It is April. I was bringing you back to eight, being April. Whoa, man. Yeah. That, that, that is <laughs> that. Is that. And speaking of the spring market, people like to get a little bit creative. I mean, and mind mm-hmm. you, I, like I said, I just got off of this uh, forms focus latte and learn. And I love forms. Mm-hmm. Forms is one of my favorite things to teach. Right. I think that it's one of the most important things that people can understand, and yet nobody reads the forms, and uh, which is pretty terrifying, actually. But just realtors um, don't read. RDR, yeah, they, they realtors don't, don't yeah, read. It's it's a nope. problem. Uh, but the reality is that it is the blueprint for negotiation mm-hmm. uh, in our marketplace and, and probably in every marketplace. And so if you know what you're doing with them, you can make better things happen for your buyers. The caveat to that is that people get a little overly creative sometimes with the forms. Yes. And people think that they're cute. And so they come up with interesting things to throw into additional terms and conditions that make me have a heart attack when they come across my my desk as a broker. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I'm excited about, and I don't know, we haven't really talked about it too much uh, on the podcast, I don't think, uh, but we have two new forms this spring uh, mm-hmm. that I think will help the marketplace. Uh, one of them is an, a, an appraisal modification uh, addendum that's standardized across the market, uh, which I think is a beautiful thing. Uh, before, just about every brokerage had their own, um, and or agents would write random things like buyer to provide 10K of gap coverage <laughs> In additional terms and conditions, like anybody has any idea what the hell that means, okay? Uh, Because that's a defined term in the contract. And so they'd write random crap like that in there and give me a heart attack. Um, So now we have a standardized form uh, across the marketplace, and and I actually really like the form a lot. We also have a standardized form, though, for escalation clauses. Oh. And escalation clauses are a cute way that people have been uh, are a cute thing that people have been using for years mm-hmm. um, and you know I historically have have not been a big fan of them not because I don't believe that they should be uh, in our arsenal but because people don't understand how they work right and here's what's hard for people until somebody has signed a document they do not have to follow any of the rules that you say they have to follow. Oh, good point. And so when the buyer's agent provides that escalation clause and the seller says, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, the seller doesn't have to because they haven't agreed to do anything. Right. And so. And yet. And yet the buyer's the buyer has the right to just not accept the counteroffer and to not move forward. Mm-hmm. That's what they have the right to do. So I don't even know if there's an and yet. So if the buyer's agent says, provide me with a copy of the contract, and the seller says, nope. Is the seller doing anything wrong? Nope. No, because they haven't agreed to do anything at all. Right. They haven't agreed to your rules. It doesn't matter that the listing agent is a member of KCRAR and this is one of our forms. No, it doesn't matter at all. 
Because guess what? That seller hasn't signed off on that. They have not agreed they to haven't do agreed said thing on you want. Anything. No. And so guess what? They get to play by their own rules until they've signed that contract. Then and so, they have to provide it, but not until then. But it, they don't even have to provide it then because our escalation clause says that once the buyer has signed the counter offer, then they all of their uh, requirements for evidence of other offers has been have been satisfied. See? And so once they've signed the counter offer, it's done, people. The, the buyer can't come back and be like, well, I want to see if there was a, an in its present condition addendum attached to that contract. Now it's too late. You signed the counter offer addendum. And like that's that. Don't play games. I'm not saying that anybody should lie, but if you represent the buyer, then you should make sure. Sorry, I'm yelling, but you should rep. <laughs> every, they're looking at me like I'm crazy. This is how I talk in my classes too. <laughs> but, but but that's the reality. Is that the if you represent the buyer, you need to make sure that they know what information they want to get to satisfy their proof requirement before they sign the counteroffer addendum, and that's your job. Don't put that on the seller. And that's my TED Talk. Alex, can I make a request? Yep. That we always record podcasts after you've just taught a class. Oh, my gosh. Because this is kind of fun. Oh, my God. You are like on a totally, like, I woke up this morning and my dog was on a completely different level. And now you are on a completely different level as yeah. well. Like, you are just fired up. Teaching it's my in your face. Thing. Yeah. It's your favorite thing. And yet mm. you are just, you are in it. You're in the zone. Oh, yeah. You're focused. Mm. This is my every sales meeting. I get mad, but like this is How me you, mad. This is is this this is. Which you're serious? I really don't like it's mad. It's just yeah, this serious. is like a very serious concept. How do you feel when people take a contract and they just start um, drawing lines through sections they don't agree with, and then just put some initials off to the side? Depends on if that person's an attorney or if they're doing it, but with the under the advisement of an attorney. And if they're not, then. Oops, That's, there's there's a different story there. Oops. But I'll tell you a, a serious problem that I have right now. Oh. And so Sorry, these are my tangents. No, oh, I got, like it. These are Alex's um, Alex's uh, greatest hits. We need we need, we need a uh, letter thingy, to, alliteration to go with that. Because we mm-hmm. have Bobby's book bit. Yeah. Alex's angry aggression. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right, here we go. Here's, and this is, and people aren't going to agree with me, and I don't care. Um, so... Uh, you list a house. Okay. Okay. And you list that house for $200,000 and you list it in, uh, we're going to say, uh, you, you list it in Spring Hill. Okay. Because I like Spring Hill. Okay. How many showings are you going to have on that house? Like 60, right? Mm-hmm. In two days, maybe more. You might get 40 offers on that property. And you, because this is what realtors do right now, you list the property on a Thursday, and then you don't accept anything until Sunday. And then on Monday, you get on social media, and you say, I got 45 offers, and my sellers are so happy. But guess what you did? What did they do? They deprived 44 other buyers of the right to homeownership that weekend. That might be a little extreme, but you lock them down from Thursday to Sunday yep. because this is how we work sometimes. You probably didn't communicate with the people that didn't stand a chance of getting that offer accepted, and they couldn't look at other homes that whole time because they had false hope of winning yep. your listing. You've got to communicate with people. And I'm just telling you that if you get that many offers on your listing and you aren't doing a good job of communicating, you are keeping other people from Obtaining the American dream. 
And that is all there is to it. And uh, you might think that you're doing what's best for your seller. The reality is that if you get 42 of those people to move on and look at other properties, you probably aren't damaging your seller. It doesn't take 45 offers to sell a house. But the problem is, is that as a society, we've become only concerned about ourselves. That's right. And no one else. That's right. In every way, shape, or form, even like walking down. I've noticed this more in the last few years than I've ever noticed before. But you're at the grocery store. You're walking down the aisle. And someone else just stops in the middle of the aisle Mm -hmm. to look for what they need. You walk up next to them. They don't even notice that you're there. They're just so self-absorbed about themselves, what they need in that moment that we can't think about anybody else. I can tell you if you have 45 offers on a house, no more. And that's – I'm even exaggerating. I feel like to my number. No more than five of those have a chance. That's right. No more than five. You're totally right. So tell those people – Either raise your offer or move on. That's right. You don't have a chance. And if you're a buyer's agent and a listing agent calls you and says, hey, I'm sorry, you don't stand a chance – you should go look at another house. Don't get mad. Right. Be you happy. should be so grateful yes. to that agent for actually communicating with you mm-hmm. and saying, hey, this isn't what's best for your client right now. Please go and find another house. There's other stuff on the market that's great out there. Yeah. Um, and, but that's not what we're doing right now, and it makes me sad. So well, we need to have a culture shift in Kansas City because it is – it's hard enough for buyers out there right now. And if you're letting people have false hope in this marketplace, you are the problem. You are doing that to these families. And it's sick. You are and Taylor Swift. It's bad. You're Taylor Swift. What it's me. I'm the problem. Oh, wow. You are Taylor Swift. Wow. In this market. That's the problem. I'm just saying. That's a running joke in our family right now. We say, it's me. I'm the problem. I'm Taylor Swift. It's fine. That's but it, it's true. And all these listing agents that are out there saying, but I don't have time to communicate with everyone. Oh, then you don't have time to take another job. A, think, th- yeah. Thank you for finishing my sentence because that's literally what I was about to say. Yeah. Because it, you once you put that home on the market, you have a duty to communicate with everyone that communicates with that's you right. about that property. Period. The seller is paying you to do your job. And a part of that job is to communicate yeah. with every single party. And it's a part of that transaction. When someone makes an offer, they are now part of that transaction. And if you don't see part of your job is making sure that we maintain a healthy and cooperative yeah. marketplace, then you're also in the wrong profession. Yeah. Because the, the li- buyer should not be finding out from social media that the house sold from right. someone else. It's the right. listing agent should be communicating with directly with the buyer's agent who then communicates with the buyer because that makes our entire profession look like a bunch of idiots running around like chickens with their heads cut off. That's right. When the buyer now sees on Facebook that the house is sold and their realtor didn't even know. Yep. Learn how to play, people. Or go home. <laughs> Woo! We can't drop these mics. We cannot drop They're attached the- to the to the table. I've tried to hit mine several times already today, and it keeps making noises, and Amber's mad at me. It's okay. So I mentioned earlier, because I think you're off your soapbox now. Yeah. Did you step down off of yeah, it? Yeah, I'm calm. All right. There actually literally is what could be considered a soapbox right above the other shoulder behind you right now. So technically, you could get wow. off of your soapbox. Yeah. But I mentioned earlier that it's April. Yeah. Which means that it's Fair Housing Month. Yeah, it is. So today we're going to bring in our KCRER DEI chair, Gwen Goins, who's a mortgage consultant, to talk to us about fair lending. You know, we did the Islamic funding, uh, lending mortgage episode a few uh, episodes back. So now we want to talk about fair lending as a whole. Um, Gwen is also, though, a veteran of the United States Army Reserve, where she earned a Medal of Service for active duty service during Operation Desert Storm. And I am so excited to have her come in and talk with us today. So cool. Yep. Great. Speaking of Fair Housing Month, the KCRIR April Latte and Learn will be all about the history of redlining. Did you know that? I did. It's I, I be like really that cool. you just talked about a latte and learn, and now there's another I one know, coming there's up. There's another one. 
Friend of the show, uh, Andrew Gustafson, is going to be presenting a session packed with fair housing information and history specific to Kansas City on April 14th in the KCRAR Leewood classroom. And if you don't remember, Andrew Gustafson is the museum curator mm-hmm. uh, for the Johnson County Museum. Uh, I also, it, you should keep an eye out on this for, for this because uh, I don't think people. I'm still surprised at how few people know that the Johnson County Museum exists. Oh, my God. And yes. it is incredible. And now they have uh, quarterly free days. Oh. And I don't know what those days are, but you should look it up. I know we have there was one in March. Um, I don't know when the next one is, but they have free days to where they, they open up the museum for free. They also open up their kids section for free. Oh. Um, and uh, it's a very cool opportunity uh, to familiarize yourself with uh, that Johnson County attraction. Awesome. I'll have to go check it out. I, I do know about the Johnson County Museum, and I know it's an amazing resource that we have in our communities, but I did not know about the free days. So There's free days. Good job, Alex. Free days. There you amazing. go. Amazing. Yeah. Guess what? Oh, I already know. I do you because we talked about we it. Do 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 do. Bobby's book bit. Casey. All right. Now I've gone with an oldie but goodie for this book bit. It's actually a book that had been on my to do read list for a very long time, and I just never made pushed it up my list. And then someone recently handed me a copy, and I was like, well, now it has to go to the front of my list. And my book bit is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Have you read The Compound Effect before, Alex? I have not, but I've heard of Darren Hardy. He used to be the editor of Success Magazine, which is now EXP owns it and all of that stuff. So that's that's how you probably heard of Darren. Um, So The Compound Effect shows you why big, (laughs) abrupt changes rarely work. And how you can change your life over time with small daily steps and a routine that builds momentum. One of the sayings I like to say is gradually, gradually, then suddenly. So the quote from the book is, you will never change your life until you change something you do daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. So the first lesson from the book is when you come up with a new life goal, immediately turn it into a daily habit. Mm. If you don't have a lot of time into a change you want to make, it's not going to stick. The moment you come up with a new life goal, instantly turn it into a tiny daily habit that you Mm -hmm. can practice. For example, if you want to eat healthier, just switch your after lunch little Snickers to an apple. Small little changes that he does not going to eat an apple. Okay, that's not going to happen. (laughs) Lesson number two is to create a routine you can stick to so you won't lose your momentum. Because only when you can do your habit consistently can you make it a part of your routine that you need to increase momentum. Momentum is a principle of physics and the reason a snowball which rolls down a hill keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it gets faster as it picks up more snow, which in turn makes it go even faster. One leads into the other. The more good habits you accumulate, the more good decisions you'll make until it becomes really easy to choose to do what's right. Mm. Initially, you should focus on creating a routine you can consistently show up for, even if you're not making it all the way through. The book talks about, you know, for example, going to the gym three times a week for three weeks in a row, even if you cut your workout short the first few times, is better than trying to go five times a week but missing half the sessions completely altogether. And then lesson number three, use your momentum to push through limits as you hit them even if you have to trick yourself at first. 
The goal of having a good routine going is that you'll have momentum when you need it the most whenever you hit a limit or a ceiling or something like that. Um, that book talks about, for example, when um, Arnold Schwarzenegger would hit a weightlifting limit, like he just couldn't lift anymore, he would cut back a little bit in order to activate different muscle groups, get some support, and then maybe add a few more reps versus doing a heavier weight. And the book says cheats like these aren't shortcuts, they're just detours. Finding tweaks like these make your momentum work for you, which allows you to push past your limits, creating a new floor and thus a new ceiling you're going to hit and makes the compound effect stronger. And the reason that I was tying this back to running before we ever even showed up today is that um, today will be day 82 for me is I agreed to do this one mile a run per day thing where you have to post yeah. a selfie and you got to post your stats. I love and it. when I, there were many days early in like when I was in the 30s and 40 day ranges of this where I was like, oh, I just don't want to do it today. But I was like, I can do anything for nine to 10 minutes a day. And I forced myself through. And now that I'm in the 80 day portion, instead of running one mile a day, I find myself wanting to run two miles per day. And it's a lot easier just to get in the routine and know that I've done it and I got it over with and I feel so much better once it's over with. So yeah. the book bit for today is the comp- 16 minutes. 16 minutes. Ah, two miles. No, I'm not I'm not an eight minute a mile runner. That's gonna take 18 minutes, maybe a little less. I, I, but that's the thing is I've noticed even yeah. just over the last 82 days of doing this, I've gone from about uh, almost a 10 minute uh, mile to now I'm down into like the 830s, 840s most yeah. days. So like wow. I've really picked up speed in less than three months just by doing one mile per day. Most That's days cool. I've done one mile. There was the marathon there in January, but that was not fast in any way, shape, or form. But just by slowly do, spending nine to 10 minutes a day working on my craft, I've got a, almost a minute, minute and a half off my running speed, which is crazy to me as someone who's been running for 20 some years now. Good for so, you. That's my book bit, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Good book bit. And I think it's probably time to go get Gwen. Gwen! Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRIR. Bobby and I are here with Gwen Goins. Hi, Gwen. Hello. How are you guys doing? Doing just fine. So, Gwen, tell us a little bit about your journey into the uh, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee at KCRIR. Well... I've uh, been a part of KCRER, um, the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion. I don't think it was called that, um, but for years, off and on. Um, but the last couple of years, been very active and engaged, and Patty Dalber's like, okay, you need to be the chair. So she asked, and when <laughs> Patty asked, we do. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> You got voluntold. I got voluntold. Yeah, voluntold. Yes. That happens a lot. Yeah. Especially once Patty, gets, <laughs> once Patty gets her hooks in you, you're done. You're like, okay, yes, whatever, Patty, it. I'm done. Yes. yes. But she has such a, a sweet spirit, and you have to say yes. I so. know it. She's wonderful. Yes, she We is. have great staff all the way yeah. across the board. Um, so uh, w- in addition to your duties as the chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, uh, what do you do outside of that? What do you do for your, you know, like your well, real job? My real job. <laughs> for the last 36 years, I've been a mortgage professional. Uh, most recently, four years with Prosperity Home Mortgage. I'm a mortgage consultant, a community lending mortgage consultant, which ties right into uh, the diversity, equity, and inclusion um, factor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. My community, the community lending part of the prosperity part. The community lending part. So um, prosperity saw a need to get loan officers out in the community. And so I do a lot of community service work, um, 
a lot of home buyer education seminars, um, a lot of, you know, tables at events to just equity in housing, democracy in housing are so key. And a lot of it just comes down to education. Right. Absolutely. So, Gwen, I'm actually going to take a step back so we can go forward. Okay. So, um, thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. uh, Operation Desert Storm. Yes. Talk to us about, A, your journey into joining the military and then then getting into lending. Like, how did all of these little layers get you where you're sitting across from us today? Because I have a feeling you have a very interesting story. Well, growing up in Anderson, Indiana, a little town in Indiana— Um, about 30 miles north of Indianapolis. School, you know, I was a straight-A student all through school, all through high school, all through, you know, everything. And But when I was graduating from college, that wasn't a conversation we had in our family. I was one of five children, and college was just never talked about. But thankfully, prayerfully, (laughs) whatever-fully, I had a counselor who said, you know, we had a conversation in the hallway one day, and he's like, well, what are you going to do after you graduate? And I said, well, I'll probably go to the military. He's like, wait a minute, what? Why would you go to the military? Um, You're a straight-A student. There's grants. There's things available for you to go to college. And so based on his recommendation, I went to college. Started my degree as a computer science major, but I was taking a lot of business courses at the same time, and and I was acing those, but not so much <laughs> acing the computer, the computer science ones. I had a Fortran class and an uh, advanced math class the same semester. And I was like, okay, wait, wait, this is not it. <laughs> and so I tr- uh, transferred my major to accounting. So I graduated with an accounting degree in 1985, long time ago. And my first job, uh, I got hired as a branch manager of a finance company. So stayed with that company for 16 years. But during that time, I was driving to work one day, and I heard a military commercial, join the Army commercial. And at lunchtime, mm-hmm. I went over to the recruiter's office. Oh, my gosh. And two weeks later, I was reporting to military duty uh, as a reservist. So I did do, do reserves. I didn't do active duty. So, mm-hmm. um, of course, I was married at the time. My husband was like, you're doing what? <laughs> so, but I did. Mm-hmm. And I had a, and I think Morgan was 14 months old at that time. And so that's my daughter. She's 35 now. God. <laughs> so um, joined the military. It's something, I, I can't explain it. Everybody, every American citizen should do a stint in the military. Mm-hmm. It gives you such a sense of pride when you hear um, the song played at games and all that kind of stuff is a different connotation, uh, probably to, for most. Um, but it was something I loved doing, Soldier of the Cycle and all <laughs> those different things that you could be. Uh, graduated with all kind of, you know, certificates of achievement and this and that and the other. Um, so Desert Storm was in eighty nine ninety and got called to active duty and Again, praise God, it didn't have to go overseas. Mm-hmm. I stayed in the States, went to Kentucky, because I was Finance Corps. And so Finance Corps was making sure everybody else's wheels and, and bank accounts and all those things were set up before they went. And so I did that. Um, released from active duty. My job moved me to Ohio. 
then from Ohio to Michigan. So I stayed in Michigan for 24 years. Go Michigan State. That's just my plug. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that in 2010, when the industry kind of crashed, um, 2008, 2009, 2010, I got a sister that got sick, ended up back in Indiana to help my mom with that situation. And then when she passed in 2014, 2013, October 2013, it was like, okay, what next? What next? I had a friend who lived here in Kansas City. Moved to Kansas City. <laughs> so here I am almost 10 years later because 2014, January 2014, um, got involved. I was came in with BMO Harris Bank, um, just got inundated in the community and started doing things. So that's the only way – that's how I know people. Yeah. Between that, the work I was doing at BMO Harris – my sorority, which is Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated. I'm just doing all these plugs for all these things. <laughs> Do it. Uh, so just getting involved with the community, getting involved with those organizations. And I'm a yeah. Kansas Cityan now, I think. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was like, you uh, walk in wearing your Super Bowl shirt, you got your KC heart earrings. Like, which are awesome, I would believe you were yeah. native Kansas Cityan. So hopefully we've treated you well during your time here. You have. It's been it's been a treat. It's been a absolute joy. Um, like I said, and the, the 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 lady that I came here working with, mm-hmm. Amy McDonald, she is currently the market manager for Prosperity. Oh wow! So we started Chase together, and then we went to BMO Harris together, and then we did a little break, and then we came back, and she recruited me for Prosperity, and it's been the best thing. So it sounds like finance and mortgage has just been with you. Even a part of your military service has just been with you. Yes. So that's amazing. Yes. I'm, I, I felt there was a story there. I was <laughs> not wrong with your story. So we brought you in to talk today about um, fair lending and the issues we have. So what are some of the biggest obstacles we have facing fair lending today? I think with just the unconscious biases that are out mm-hmm. there, I think that's if we could get rid of that, we could probably move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a conversation. It takes people literally sitting down with people that are unfamiliar to them and having that conversation. Um, you know, the appraisal biases, the um, the steering even from from a conventional product to an FHA product based on what they look like when they mm-hmm. open your door. Um, there's a, there's a lot of things that we could do right. if we were consciously aware. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit. Uh, and stories are the most impactful thing. So give us. I, I would love to hear or hate to hear, but it's important. An example of uh, somebody affected. Uh, we've all heard stories, especially about the uh, about um, uh, appraisals yep. and, and fairness there. Uh, but can you talk to us a little bit about at least one thing that you've seen here locally uh, that that puts you um, that makes what we are focusing on here today such an important part of your life's work and, mm-hmm. and uh, with what we do? Right. So I'm sure everybody knows the redlining, the mm-hmm. history of redlining in Kansas City and in all every state, Absolutely. actually, uh, every city. Um but here, when I moved here in 2014, one of the things that the person that I moved here with, for, whatever, 
<laughs> we also all have those stories as well. So right. Yeah. Stay, stay, you know, if you're, if you're in the city, don't go past Troost mm-hmm. or 39th and Troost. Stay away from that area at night and, mm-hmm. and, and this and that and the other. And I'm that person that I'm very spiritual. You know, I, I, I walk in faith. And and sometimes we have to we have to be in those places mm-hmm. because that's where our ministry is. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, getting to know, wanting to know more about that, I connected with a realtor. His name was Doug. Sha- His name is Doug Schaefer. And we used to spend a lot of time in the Mannheim subdivisions, mm-hmm. thirty nine sixty three in the Mannheim, and looked at what was going on in those neighborhoods. The the gentrification mm-hmm. that was starting to transform transform in those neighborhoods. Um, when I started working in those neighborhoods, those houses were going for like seventy five, sixty eight, seventy five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Fast forward nine years later, ten years later, those same houses are going for two hundred, two fifty. But it's not us mm-hmm. that's buying them. Yep. You know, and it's and it's the the tax base that went up a couple years ago. It's causing people to move out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen personally where, you know, people are knocking on people's doors saying, let me buy your house, you know, and they're not giving them a fair price mm-hmm. any and at all. They're mm-hmm. finding out how much they owe, and then they're, you know, maybe giving them five grand over what they're, they owe, and then they're going in and refurbishing mm-hmm. these houses, maybe put two or three grand in them. And then selling them for a hundred, two hundred thousand more than what they purchased the house from that buyer from. That's yeah. aggravating. Yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> like, it's literally as you're telling that story, it's bringing tears to my eyes because it's literally going back to the beginning days of blockbusting. That's right. It's for same. God's sakes, mm-hmm. it's 2023. Yes, we this should not still be existing in our society and in our world. But it well, is. And, I, it, but it is. And, and yet know, we can't avoid it. We can't run away from it. And yet too many – well, we were just talking before you came on because the, the, the Johnson County Museum has an amazing oh, redlining exhibit. Oh, yeah. They have all of that. We've got Andrew coming in and doing a thing. And yet too many of our own people, not even just our citizens, but even our own realtors, have no idea of our history, especially oh, yeah. here in Kansas City, the aggressions we have made. And oh. we're still not I know. making that much I progress. Know. No, it just now I'm warm. I know that it's <laughs> you were fired up earlier. Now I'm fired up. There, the, but the, the thing is, I was at a, a KCRER um, YPN event, what Wednesday, Tuesday, or Wednesday of this week, and great audience. But the people who want to know mm-hmm. already know. Yep. The people who show up for events and redline tours and all those things, they already know there's a problem. That's right. So the people who need to hear the message, they're turning a blind eye mm-hmm. to all of this. And, and until those people change or acknowledge that there's a problem, yeah. again, the mm-hmm. unconsciousness mm-hmm. of it all, they, they're like, what, what, what's wrong with those people? You You're know, right. right. Why? They get everything. They get, no, no, we don't. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so here's the other piece of it. And I know it's been, I don't know, four years or so, um, but the uh, Newsweek Long Island yep. uh, piece that came out. Mm-hmm. You can't help but think, even today, I know that we all did classes and all had conversations about the Long Island uh, Newsweek report and, mm-hmm. and all of that. 
if they were to do something similar in Kansas City today. Mm-hmm. There are people who that we might even be able to say that they that they're well-meaning. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe. But there are people who could get stuck on something like that and would absolutely not look good mm-hmm. as a result. Mm-hmm. And maybe they learn that they are putting people in a terrible position. I really do believe that we've got plenty of that happening in Kansas City. It's um, all over. And it's, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Kansas City, because hardly any, I mean, we are still one of the uh, strongest examples, unfortunately, of the uh, effects of redlining and blockbusting. Um, that's You can still see it yep. in our yeah. city. It's yep. stronger than... A lot of places in the country. Yeah, the, uh. the racial divide. I, I, I just went um, on a, a, a bus tour for the franchise that I'm a part of, and we went through the Midwest, and then we went down in the South. We went to Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, and we did an awards tour. Mm-hmm. And when I came home, the thing I told to my husband was the diversity of our agents in the South versus the diversity of our agents in the Midwest is striking. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We see so many of our agents representing the communities they are a part of. We see it more proportional in the south than we do in the Midwest. And if anything, you would think it would be worse in the south, but it is not. And yeah. it just was very shocking to me just seeing the differences between the south and the Midwest as we look around the rooms cuz you look around the room in the Midwest, they all look like me. And that is not representative of the populations and communities that we are serving. Even, I mean, I think 5% of realtors are people of color. Right. So there's a big disparity there. I think it's even worse for appraisers. Yeah. Um, But, and and I tell the story all the time. I mean, growing up in Lansing, well, not growing up in Lansing, Michigan, but living in Lansing, Michigan for 23 years— it was a melting pot. I mean, a true melting pot. East Lansing, Michigan is the epitome of a melting pot. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the university. It probably is. But my neighborhood, the, the subdivision I lived, everybody was there. I mean, you had Muslim families, you had white families, you had black families, you, had, you know, you had everything. Mm-hmm. So every, organi- every event mm-hmm. that I would go to, I was just there. I mean, it was just everybody was there. Fast forward, moving to Kansas City. I would get invited to events, and I was either the only black there Mm -hmm. or one of every black. And I was just, what happened? Did Mm -hmm. we miss the boat? Did we? Yes. What happened (laughs) in Kansas City? Why is there no, you know, and, and, you know, I, my daughter, my 35-year-old has a a child, mm-hmm. my my grandbaby, she's biracial, and I'm like, I mean, because it wasn't a thing right. in Lansing, Michigan. It was like everybody was everybody, mm-hmm. um, but here it's just so still segregated. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is 2023. Mm-hmm. What is <laughs> what did did we get lost in a time warp? You know, um, and then even with the you know, I think it's almost purposely that we keep ourselves separated. Mm-hmm. And how do I say this without offending people? Go ahead, <laughs> offend them. I don't care. I don't want to offend anybody. No. 
That's, I think that's become a part of our, our problem in our society is we're too afraid to offend other people, and sometimes they just need to be told the cold, hard truth. Sometimes even us, mm-hmm. we try to use everybody. We, 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 we won't use our own people. We will go outside our races all the time to use everybody else, but everybody else is not doing the same thing. You know, everybody else is still... You know, Choosing I'm going to find a white realtor. I'm white. I'm going to find a white realtor. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to find a realtor that looks like she's making, you know, this or that and the yep. other. Um, with us, I'm going to find a white realtor because that white realtor knows more than a black realtor will know. Yeah. And that's sad. Yeah. That's really sad. Same thing with Lindy. Um, I dare say I know more <laughs> about the Lindy than a lot of loan officers. But because I'm a person of color, sometimes I get overlooked because of that. Right. You know, I, I'm going to send you to my referral partner. My referral partner is a person that I know, like, and trust. They don't know me because you haven't given a chance to know me. Mm-hmm. Right. My God. I mean, it's a... It... this is 2023 and and yet these are still the conversations that we need to have because the racial divide is still there there. all of those things are still so strong in the communities we're a part of well i think i do i do homebuyer education and that's why i do homebuyer education pretty much almost every weekend i'm somewhere doing a homebuyer education course um, the next one is coming up at Habitat for Humanities on the 25th of March through an co- uh, organization called NARAB, National Association of Real Estate Brokers, which mm-hmm. is the oldest yep. African-American trade organization in the country. Um, and, and our fight is just as big as it was 75 years ago. Um, but teaching folk about credit, because that's our two, our two, con- our two issues is credit and cash to close. Mm-hmm. So sitting down and talking to people early enough in the process that you got to get these two things in line is important right? and keeping it important. Because we talk about generational wealth building. You can't, the fastest path to home, uh, to generational wealth is home ownership. A period. Done. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. we got to stop skips. renting. Yeah, we got to right. stop renting. We got to yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. break the cycle yes. somehow. Yes. So, so another, let's talk just a little bit about the VA piece of that's things, That's exactly I think where I was going. I think so. this is an important <laughs> thing. And we, I know Bobby and I have talked about it a lot. Um, obviously, uh, the VA loan product isn't getting a lot of traction right now. I'm not saying that we're not seeing any of it, but uh, it's it's been um, less of a benefit to our uh, veterans uh, than it should be, I feel. Well, it's not, it's not less of a benefit to the the, the veteran. It's it down is upon. less of a benefit to a buyer's agent or a seller's agent who tells their client that that's, a that's not right. a good loan. That's right. The VA loan is the best loan out there. That's right. Period. Nonplus. Um, the VA. And, and that's I bought my house in August of 2021 mm-hmm. using a VA. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had that same, and, and it, it infuriates me. It really does mm-hmm. because you know I have a great credit score. 
I have cash in the bank, but I choose to use my VA benefit, which says I can buy this house at 100%. That's right. That you no, earned. I that's earned. Right. That's right. And that's why when I, when people say thank you for your service, this is how you thank people for their service. Um, the, the fact that I was at the YPN event the other night, and there's so much misconceptions about the VA product still mm-hmm. out there. Well, it's going to cost the borrower. It's going to cost the seller more. That stuff went away in 2012. 2012. Um, the, the buyer can pay for the termite. termite Does that change now? That's yeah, $65. That's yeah. $65. That's right. If that's going to make you not want to give them. That's you know, crazy. They yeah. look at a pre-approval and assume that the amount of money a person is putting down dictates how strong that buyer that's is. That's right. And that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's right. At the end of the day, the buyer, the seller is going to get his net proceeds. I don't care if it's an FHA, if it's a VA, or a convention. That's right. So the selling agent, because the buyers don't know, the no. sellers don't know. No. It's the agents who mm-hmm. have basically poisoned their seller on which offers to accept. Mm-hmm. And to me... And, and I actually, I had this conversation yesterday, and I said I was going to go back and do some research because I'm pretty sure in Michigan and in Indiana where I've generated, and Ohio where I've generated loans, there was not a box on the contract that said the type of financing. Oh. And if we could get rid of that, again, it would mm. level the playing field. All right, so I got to push back just a little bit. And it isn't because so here we go. And this is this is important. Yeah. So I I've worked. Uh, so there's a sticking point here, mm-hmm. and it, and it's all based on how competitive the marketplace mm-hmm. is. And when you have people waiving appraisals mm-hmm. in their entirety, mm-hmm. a somebody that is trying to utilize their VA benefit of a VA loan mm-hmm. is at a disadvantage because you can't fully waive. An appraisal on a VA loan. You can't waive an appraisal on a lot of loans that you finance. Even but you now, can you waive can the, say you, you can, can say, say that you'll cover the difference, and you can do that on a VA loan. You can absolutely. The amendatory you can. clause. Absolutely, you does can. The, the contract takes precedence over. No, the, so the amendatory clause does not. And I've had it really where people have come to the table with cash to pay that difference. Oh, of course they you can. can do that. They can. You can do that on a VA loan. On a VA loan, yes. Are they required to at that no. point? No. But you're not required right. to on a conventional. So, but, but it depends you, on which box I know, you check. I hear what you're saying. The, the <laughs> difficulty that we're that we're under is that we've got a lot of people that are completely waiving the appraisal, saying that they'll cover any difference that comes up, which you can do. Which on you a can VA still loan. do that on a VA you loan. Can. But but again, so you right. are assuming that a VA borrower don't have cash no, in the I'm bank not. to do no, that. No, I'm not. I'm not assuming that. But I have been in the situation where uh, the appraisal came back low. Mm-hmm. After the appraisal was waived, mm-hmm. and somebody wanted out of the contract, they do it on conventional. And they as do well. it on conventional. Absolutely, <laughs> they do. The trick was that the VA mandatory clause was signed by all parties, and uh, then they were leaning on that in order to say that this is why they were able to get out. Which, I, again, I understand that anybody can do that. 
I think that there we've got to have a lot of conversations about that VA mandatory clause. One of the things I've been advocating for is getting that VA mandatory clause changed because a lot of the discrepancies that people have in terms of uh, what a VA buyer uh, can or cannot do regarding appraisals comes from that from that mandatory clause, um, and it does say notwithstanding any other terms of the contract, which means that it takes precedence over all of the other terms of that contract. But there's also the same issues with a conventional, totally. same issues with a totally. FHA. Totally. I agree. So they just not. don't have that form. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. You and I are on the exact same side. I think that that form creates doubt. Um, Only and 1%, mm-hmm. 1% of American citizens yeah. are VA. 1%. So how often are you going to get a VA buyer to begin with? Right. And so if you have that one instance that that that's not going to happen but every oh, right. so we yeah, find we find excuses we make that's up right. stories just like totally. we say yep. we don't want to accept that's FHA right. cuz the appraisal is going to be too right. hard or mm-hmm. the VA cuz the right. VA's appraisal is going to be hard my thing is why would you as a buyer agent want to put your client in something that you wouldn't live in First and foremost. Sure. So if if there's a railing that's missing for an FHA and you need to put up a railing, what yeah. is it, sixty five dollars to put up a railing? Right. Yeah. It's safety and soundness. If on a conventional loan, if an appraiser goes in or an inspector goes in and says that there needs to be radon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that seller has to repair that radon. Right. That's Period. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So why these little minor things that VA and FHA require, mm-hmm. why are they such a big deal? I know. I can, again, you and I are on the same side. <laughs> I think that that amendatory clause, though, when people see it, that is the source of a lot of the problems we have because people can lean well, on that and say there is something in writing here that does material cha- materially change the contract should anything have been said about the appraisal prior saying that they get their earnest money back if they console based on the appraised value. I'm, and I think that that's the I think that if you if we modify that form, which I know that we can't do locally, but if we're able to look at that and figure out something different, I think that that would be advantageous so to most everybody. So most most mm-hmm. people are going to check the box that says I can do inspections and if there's anything wrong with these inspections right. I can walk away from this contract and get my earnest money sure. back. Mm-hmm. What is the difference? Oh, so I'm talking yeah. about the appraised value. I know, the, I know that, but yeah. but even even if I'm doing an FHA loan or a conventional loan, yeah. and that house doesn't appraise, I can still if I've checked the right box, I can come back and say. We got to renegotiate exactly. This. So what what's happening though in our market right now is people are saying that they're waiving the right to renegotiate based on the appraisal. And to me, you shouldn't be able to do that. That's why we're having all this buyer remorse. Exactly. Oh, I completely that's agree. That's going to be the next lawsuit. Yep. Yep. The that's big, right. Big class action that's lawsuit right. against all the different real estate agents and and companies because it's a risk. It's a huge risk. Absolutely. If if you get a buyer, especially a first time home buyer, mm-hmm. that buys a home and waives all inspections and and whatever, and now there's a sewer break right mm-hmm. on their part of the yep. sewer line, and that's ten fifteen thousand dollars. They can't do it. They cannot Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. But you're right on. No, we agree. Dare I say, I agreed. 
there's there there in the last couple of years there's been so much greed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that and 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 we're it's going to come back to bite. Mm-hmm. You know where we've allowed all these hedge funds to come in and buy up all mm-hmm. the property just because mm-hmm. I can close five loans in yep. one swoop. Mm-hmm. Yep. All that's coming back because now those houses will never be available for you to sign to sell that's right. again. Absolutely. Whereas the normal person who buys a house may live in it seven, eight years, mm-hmm. and then they're yep. going to sell it, refinance it, downsize, get married, divorce, whatever. That's right. And that house is going to be back on the market. And it all contributes yep. to a healthier marketplace that way. Yep. Yes. All right. I agree. Well, Gwen, we want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> and we are at the end of our time. However, I always ask one last question to all of our guests. Okay. What else? What else should I have asked you? What else should we talk about? What else do you want our listeners to know about anything? I just want our listeners to understand that we are all wanting the American dream. Mm -hmm. Open up your heart. Open up your mind. Open up your eyes to see these people. Not everybody that stands in front of you is is a bad person or or what have everybody wants just an opportunity to raise their children in a safe sound environment period and i keep hitting your mic and that's, that's okay. okay it's like the equivalent of a mic drop <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to like we can't do mic drop you can't drop with the mic here <laughs>